Welcome to Financial Detox with certified financial planner and founder of Intelligence Driven Advisors, Jason Labram. Jason and co-host Alex Klingensmith share ideas on how you can steer clear of toxic advice, achieve financial peace of mind, and manage your wealth for maximum impact. It's time for Financial Detox. Hello and welcome to the show. It's Financial Detox and I'm Jason Labor. We have a really special show for you today. I'm excited to be here. I have a good friend, an awesome golfer, and also the author of a brand new book called The Laws of Trading. You are the author of the book, The Laws of Trading. So you have written The Laws of Trading. Is this right, Augustine? That's exactly right, Jason. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, Augustine is, um, he's a man of many talents, not only a great golfer, but again, authored this book, The Laws of Trading, which we're going to have a wonderful, fruitful conversation about. And uh, Alex in studio as well, the co-host of the show. And maybe you actually, you're the more stable anchor of this show anyway, <laughs> right? I don't know. Last show, I fell apart completely though. We were talking about monkeys. Oh, the monkey I thing. wasn't we stable. Lost it. <laughs> what was our problem? Dude, we went into a full laughing gas attack. Like, it, was a, it was a fun one. <laughs> We yeah. could talk about that later with August. We can get his opinion on oh, the, monkeys the monkeys later. But... We're gonna the monkeys are oh, they're gonna come back every single show. I don't know that I have opinions on monkeys, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, oh, you we'll get you going. Don't I, worry. I think it'll be good. So Augustine, also co-founder and managing director of Esalen. Esalen Research. Esalen Research. It's a consulting firm. And so what do you do in that consulting firm? Just give us a little more background about you and why you wrote this book, what you do in your consulting firm and and who you are. Yeah. So I started my career as an engineer. And so that's what I did for many years. And at the time, I was playing a lot of online poker back when that was profitable and arguably legal, unlike today. <laughs> and so I wanted to find a job that combined the two. And that's basically trading. And so I found a job as a quant trader and researcher at Chain Street Capital, which is one of the biggest prop trading firms in the world. I started in 2008, which is, as you might remember, a heck of a started. time. Good yeah, that's right. Yeah, Whoa. I started finance. I started my career in trading just as the world <laughs> How was- How are your first few trades, man? Imploding. <laughs> uh, so it was a hell of an education, let me tell you. I bet. Um, and for the last five years, I've been running this consulting firm where we help uh, tech companies, growing tech companies, uh, make better decisions, get better operationally using some of the ideas that I learned in trading. Right, I bet. It's interesting. I heard a Kitsis podcast here recently and he was talking about business consulting and how many business owners need help. Uh, one of his guests just running their business. And I think about us running our business. There are so many components to running a business. And when you start breaking through two, three, four, five million, 10 million, 20 million in sales, there's a lot going on. Exactly. And the thing is the <laughs> skill set that you need to start a business, sort of that aggressiveness, creativity, risk-taking, isn't necessarily the same skill set that makes you a good manager of a stable business. And so you have to pick up skills. You have to pick up new abilities. And that's okay. kind of what we help people do. Or hire consultants who help you do that, right? Sure. Which is uh, where you come in. Awesome. So we're going to spend some time today talking about trading. And I'm interested to dive deeper into your philosophy because we're an anti-trading firm, right? Our firm, Intelligence Driven Advisors, is more about a very disciplined, process-driven, academically, historically evidenced way to create portfolios. So I'm going to see, we're going to find out where those philosophies blend and maybe where they sure. clash and have some fun talking about that. If you want to get a hold of us or you want to uh, check us out more, you can go to financialdetox.com. You can also give us a call at 877-707-8889. So let's launch into the book. Let's talk about what your book is 
let's go 60,000 feet. What is it saying? What are you telling people they can do? Are you saying that you can go trade stocks and make money? Very much the opposite. Oh, okay. We're not going to have anything to argue about. <laughs> well, I think there's still, well, we may have things to, to discuss. That's okay. for sure. No, I mean, I think this is my big picture idea is the thing with trading is that there's no real natural barrier to entry. I mean, it doesn't take a huge amount of capital. You know, like if you right. were to go up against Amazon, you would need billions of dollars to build warehouses and all that stuff, right? right? But in trading, all you need is a small amount of capital and a good idea. And so what that means is the people who are good at trading, who, who are good in the markets, are people who make good decisions and do it consistently. And so that's basically what I'm telling people is the best decision makers on earth are probably the people who are trading in financial markets. This is the most competitive arena on earth. Wow, that's true. And it turns out that the skills that these people develop are incredibly useful everywhere else in life. And so I wrote the book in order to try to teach people that how good traders think, at least how good traders that I've met and learned from over the years think, right? and how you can apply that in your everyday life. And it's not about trading stocks. It's about everything else. Right. That's interesting because it is. I mean, when you look at how people approach and think about trading, it is disastrous, right? I Absolutely. mean, managing their money, the way people think about their finances. That's why we're here on the show called Financial Detox. Exactly. Because the toxic thought processes that people have around investing is just remarkable. It's crazy. And, and the thing about that is, there's not a whole lot of incentive for the information that you get from financial advisors, from CNBC, for you to do the right thing. Like every brokerage house wants you to trade more, right? right? <laughs> every advisor out there is just, you know, okay, well, how can I collect more fees, right? And so you're just besieged on all sides by these messages that, oh, you need to be in it. And things like the Robinhood trading app. I mean, it's, this seems insane to me. Like I'm going to walk down the street and I'm going to pull out my app because I got some idea and I'm going to do a trade and somehow right. that's going to be a good trade. I mean, right. when I was in the markets, I had six monitors in front of me. I was absorbing huge amounts of information. I had people, I was surrounded by people who were doing the same thing. We were having this conversation all day long just to survive, just to make good trades. You mean you didn't just get a coffee and all of a sudden you saw a <laughs> cart go by and you went, I need to invest in those carts. That cart was really cool. And I you, mean, yeah. You bought it and made millions of dollars and it was that easy, right? I've got the first point of contrast here then. You said something just a minute ago that I want to point out and disagree with respectfully. Please. All advisors want to find ways to make more fees. So Charles Schwab's CEO, and I, I respect him, mm -hmm. he came out at the beginning of this year and he said, we are proud that we are the company that has the least revenue per client. Right. Whoa. That's wonderful. I think it's, you can support that. Now, I'm not going to say Charles Schwab doesn't make money in ways that we don't even totally understand. True. But, but if that's the mission statement of the company and we're the advisors that we are advisors, mm -hmm. we're not looking to make, I would say we're not looking to make more fees off our clients. I'm saying we're looking to serve more clients and keep them forever. Yeah. No, I, I think there's right. basically a dichotomy here. And I, I right. think you put you bring up a very good point, right? Um, the people who are kind of shouting on CNBC are probably one kind, right? right? <laughs> and the people who aren't doing all that much shouting uh, are probably a different kind. But I'm, I'm going to take Augustine's side on this too, because I think in general, <laughs> uh -oh. when you look at the apathy in the advisor world, and you look at the confluence of mixed messaging and bad, intentionally deceitful messaging from so many Wall Street firms and trading firms, it leaves the regular everyday person who has another normal job and kids and a life. And this isn't what they do professionally with six screens in front of them and study it all day, every yeah, day. Exactly. And like we do, we study this stuff every single day. It leaves everybody else at a major disadvantage, which is why I think 
And uh, we'll close for a minute on this and go to a quick break. But this is why I think that people need to hire a fiduciary advisor. It's a cliche word now, and it's been run up and down the flagpole, and it's stomped on, and it's muddy, and it's been overused. And a new rule is even coming out right now or came out right now, right? And it's all convoluted. But here's the deal. There are certain firms who do what is in your best interest all the time. They're legally bound to act in your best interest. Mm -hmm. And there's a very, very, very small subset of financial advisors out there. And they probably should spell their name advisors, E-R-S, like intelligence driven <laughs> advisors versus O-R-S, because there is a difference there's, under the there's rules. There's a huge difference. And, and this is an important distinction to draw. Augustine, how do I say your last name? It's LeBron. LeBron, yeah. Like, see, I want to change Come my on, last name. How do you name. say the last name? No, listen, name. <laughs> sorry. I want to change my last LeBron name James. from Labrum to LeBron. I don't so think you want like to do LeBron. that. No, believe me. Something changed a lot in my life around 12 years ago or so. I was like, it was a perfectly normal last name. And now- because no, you're LeBron. Right. It's a big Is deal. it a bad thing? I mean, are you getting like negative press for it's that? It's just a weird thing. I mean, you have to come up with jokes. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's funny. You get, and you have to pay him royalties That's for all right. of them. You're like, oh man, it was my name first. So Augustine is the author of a book called The Laws of Trading. We're talking about it. And it's interesting because at first glance, I'm like, the laws of trading. Oh, great. When you call me, I'm like, this will be interesting, right? This will be combative because you'll have this theory of go trade. But in turn, what we're finding out as we talk is that you really have disciplined, process-driven ways to make trades and think about the markets, which is similar to what we do. Mm -hmm. And um, now we got to get more drama out of this conversation. There's got to be more excitement here. All right, let's go. No, yeah. but I think the important thing there is certainly to understand that the reason that I believe this is because of this idea of edge, right? Any trade that you do, you have to understand What's the thing that you understand and can do that the marginal participant in the market cannot, right? And if you don't have a great answer for that, probably you shouldn't be doing that. And I think that's the number one thing that you can talk to your, to your example. Yeah. So we believe in a, an investment philosophy that on the surface level, it would maybe seem like counter um, to what you're talking about mm -hmm. on the surface level. But when we go and visit the trading floor in Santa Monica at Dimensional Funds, yep. those traders have an edge because they don't have to buy around a commercially generated index. Mm -hmm. They don't have to buy when they are told to buy. They mm -hmm. buy when they want to buy with large sums of money. Yep. I think that's maybe one of the, that's an edge. Absolutely, yeah. That's definitely an edge. Well, and that they have massive intelligence in the system and protocols and processes and procedures to how they buy a stock and how they even yep. get pricing because there is cents per share or some cost per share to make a trade. So how cost-effective can Absolutely. you trade? I mean, it's not free to execute trades. Not right? at all. The margins, the spreads. And even though I bet if you ask a typical investor on the street and maybe our typical listeners, how much does it cost to trade? They would say almost nothing. They may say it's even free, but it's not, trading is no, not free. free. There's no. bid, ask spreads, there's cents per share. Well, there's all let, kinds let of stuff, you, about that you know better than From us the other that. side of it, right? Yeah. You know, these companies that offer free trading. Right. So how do they make money is the biggest question, right? right? People are often asked that question. And the answer is kind of subtle because it turns out that the way they make money is that the people that the retail traders are trading against, their clients, they pay the brokerage for the right to trade against those orders, right? It's called payment for order flow. And so large companies like Citadel and others, they pay the brokerage, say Robinhood, some amount of money for every trade that you do so that they can take the other side of it. I mean, I think that is as much evidence as you Whoa, need. Whoa, you control both sides. Well, it's not so much that you control it. It's just it's evidence to you that the trades that you're doing, the professionals think so little of it that they want to take the other side of that trade every time they can, wow. right? 
So, wow. I mean, is it free or is it just that they're taking advantage of the situation? I wish we could like extract that out and study that statement because, you know, when you come from your line of experience where you're on the trading floor, you're working, running these trades, you see the dirtiness of that. And I understood it and I understand it at a very higher, a much higher level. When I left the big firms, I had realized towards the end of my tenure that how they were trading and they would have free trading, no trading costs inside of a managed account fee. And I'm like, it seems like there's got to be some benefit that they're extracting out of this. And they were, right? There was not only cents per share and they were trading as principals, not as an agent. And Mm -hmm. there was somebody, they were making money on the other side of the trade. So they're almost betting against you. Right. I mean, somebody's certainly betting against you. And so what I talk about in the book is any trade that you do, you need to kind of figure out who is it that's betting against you. And in particular, do they know more about the situation than you do? (laughs) And the odds are highly high. I wonder if they do. (laughs) Right. Like, let's say I call you on the phone, right? And I ask you to bet against me on the number of pencils on my desk, right? You're not going to bet against me because I know more about that. And I'm like, FaceTime me right now. I need to see your desk. (laughs) Right. And and if we trade on the number of pencils on your desk, then you're going to take my action all day, right? Right. I mean, it's just down to this information asymmetry. What do I know that you don't? What do you know that I don't? That's the fundamental question in trading. Well, and then, then becomes the discussion of the efficient market hypothesis, right? And how efficient has the stock and bond market become over the years. Would you agree that the stock market is more efficient than the bond market? It seems that way just because there's more eyeballs, there's lower cost of trading. It's sort of lower barrier to entry. Bonds, I mean, you have to source them. It's kind of hard to trade. So yeah, yeah, there's probably more inefficiency there, certainly. I agree. And then do you agree that the markets are very efficient? I mean, all the information is available to the public. Therefore, it's processed by masses of intelligent people and their computers and their algorithms and systems. I think the markets have become, I think they're becoming more and more efficient every day, but they're almost no inefficiency in very, very little liquid markets. And the way that I see that is quite simply how hard it is to make money trading. I mean, it is phenomenally, phenomenally difficult. Even if you're a professional with all the access to all the best data feeds, all the best technology, all the smartest people in the world, it is still incredibly hard. And so what that's telling you is 99.99% of the time, the market price is just the right price. Right. And so, so then what do you do? Do you contend though <laughs> then, and we'll save this for the last segment, but do you contend that there is a way to trade? And, and I want to talk about what you mean by trading. You mean trading, buying and selling individual stocks or ETFs or mutual funds, any of that? Or is it really individual stocks? No. When I talk about trading, I, I think I take a very expansive view of trading, right? Okay. It's sort of exchanging things And for some people, for me, it was, you know, my time and on the trading floor. But, you know, for most people who aren't professional traders, you need to think of your trades in a different way, right? Like, I'm going to go buy a car, right? That's a trade that you're going to do, right? Well, how do I use these laws of trading in order to think about getting a better deal on my car buying, right? These are exactly the same processes that professional traders use to do good trades. You can apply those same processes in the everyday things you do. You should have been the art of negotiation, maybe, or the art of uh, trade or something. I don't know. I like it. But the laws of trading, same thing. It's very good. I like it. Just going through real estate transactions lately. Oh, real estate transactions. It's exactly exactly what you're talking about. And I I read in the table of contents alone of this book are awesome as you follow them through to this. It is. It is very good. So let's wrap up in a minute. Let's come back and give some actionable items for our listeners to take home and apply today in their lives. 
And then also make sure they know how to get a copy of your book if they want it. So we're talking about trading. We're talking about the laws of trading. We're talking about philosophy of investing and, and the competitive edges in the marketplace. We're talking about market efficiency and, and can you actually extract value out of the market? And I think we have a pretty interesting perspective on this because we do run a real estate fund. We have been in the business for a combined 350 years at the Financial Detox Team and Intelligence Driven wow. Advisors. Not just the two of us. That's not, that, <laughs> you look good. Thank you. And that, that is not, and Clear. that isn't 350 people with one year experience. That's about an average of 17 years experience. So we've, we've been through this and I've actually tried Augustine to trade mm-hmm. and outwit the market. I tried to outsmart the person and the people on the other side of those trades and outwit all economic information and news. And I found out very unfortunately, it just didn't work. And exactly. I was not providing enough value. I wasn't providing any value to my clients and that may be detracting. So a long time trying, ago, I was trying. trying very hard to do something great and special. And after you start in the market, and I started in March of 2000, bringing clients on. I started in the business in 98. But so I got to experience my first three years as pretty significant turmoil and turbulence. And then right about once I got my feet on the ground and had recovered from the 2002 debacle, you know, 2008 hits, which was significant, the biggest since the Great Depression. So it was an interesting time where I said, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. There was a better way, but I took me two reiterations to find that. Well, at least you found it. Yeah, no kidding. Better late than never. And some people still haven't. So many still haven't. So your book, The Laws of Trading, I mean, even chapter one through 11 here, just looking at your table of contents and the words underneath it, what would you say are some really actionable ideas we can give our listeners? Because somebody's, you know, we're going to have people listening to this on the radio show and we're going to have people listening to this on the podcast. And I want them to just have something, some meat Mm -hmm. they can take away from this to better their lives financially or, you know, in some other way. Right. What do you think? So I think the thing that I'm trying to communicate is that the laws of trading are about making better decisions, better rational decisions. And oftentimes those are financial decisions. So we talked before about, you know, what should I think about when I buy a car, right? Mm-hmm. So let's just go into that a little bit because I okay. think, you know, this is something that we all do pretty regularly, yeah. and, you know, every few Practical. years or something. Yeah. So you walk into a dealership, you just start looking at cars, car dealer comes over, Oh, you see, you're looking at this car and you start to have this conversation, right? Yeah. You're already doing bad trades, right? Why? <laughs> well, because there's an incredible information asymmetry between you and the car dealer, right? They're right. trying to sell you a car, you're trying to buy it, but they know so much more about the car, about their costs, <laughs> about the cost of the features. They also have seen a couple of hundred people just like you, right? right. Whereas so they have experience they have in enormous this deal. Experience asymmetry, right? <laughs> and so the deck is already stacked against you as soon as you walk on the lot, right? Great point. And so the question is, well, what can I do about this? Well, here's one thing. I talk about a few things in the book, but here's one thing. Right. Pre-commitment is incredibly powerful. Do your research before you walk on the car lot. And I don't mean do your research like, you know, what fuel economy does a car get and that sort of thing. That's useful too, but find out what their costs are. Find out what yeah. options you actually want, what options you don't want. Try to figure out what things they might offer you. What would you pay for, I don't know, better seats or yeah. better floor mats? I don't right. know, right? It's like have a plan going have in. Have a plan. You call that pre-commitment. Pre-commitment, right? Like you write stuff down, literally write it on a piece of paper. It sounds like a crazy thing to do. Like, oh, I'm just going to sort of decide in my head. And no, 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 no. Write it down on a piece of paper with a pencil. Bring that piece of paper with you to the dealership and refer to it when you're talking to the dealer. I because love it. 
it's just so easy for you to sort of convince yourself that a thing you thought a half hour ago isn't quite the thing you thought about, right? right. And you sort of like get into this little mode, especially under the gun when you're in a foreign and environment. And there's pressure and, pressure, and you're and, driving the fully loaded one. <laughs> and you think, well, I don't want to look like an idiot here. I want right. to look like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. There's a lot of like emotional stuff. Starts I don't to want to look like play. I can't afford this. So I'm right. just going to go ahead and step up. Right. Exactly. People, right. Yeah. And so that's an <laughs> example fun. of a trade that you can just do a better job of with a bit of pre-commitment and a bit of research going in. I can dumb it down to an experience I had this morning, right? We've got to get a new water heater. And so we got a quote from this company that we think is really great. We know they do a great job, but the quote was really high. And I said, we have to do more due diligence to my wife, mm-hmm. Ali. I'm like, we got to at least get a couple more quotes because this is 35% above what we thought and we looked online it should cost. Exactly. And you get what you pay for in a lot of situations, but also sometimes you pay for a lot of extra stuff that you don't right. need as well. So your actionable advice too sounds a little very familiar to when we talk about like how do we help our clients? And the first thing we do is we help them build a financial plan to identify mm-hmm. what the circumstances mm-hmm. and goals are. Have a plan. And then from there, you then decide how you're going to invest your exactly. money. Have you a plan. said it in better words, but. <laughs> well, the, you know, uh, last example too, we were working with a client yesterday who had a bunch of life events going on. And, you know, should I stay at work or should I stay home was the mom's question. Mm -hmm. And she makes good money. And it was a very tough decision and all this. And they just couldn't make the decision without the right information. Right. So how did we get the information as we sat down, drafted out their financial plan, looked at every component, taxes, inflation, spending, investments, variable rates of returns, Monte Carlo probability analysis. Mm -hmm. And we did all these scenarios to determine what is the likelihood of this plan working and achieving so they go into it with pre-commitment, knowing what the outcome is going to be. I love it. Okay, so is your book available on Amazon? Yes, it is available on Amazon. You can order it now. The Laws of Trading. The Laws of Trading. I think if you coupled that with buying Financial Detox, on if you bought those, never have to read again. (laughs) You would be profoundly better off with your personal finances if you read those two books, Financial Detox, and more importantly, The Laws of Trading from Augustine LeBron. The book also has a website. It's just lawsoftrading.com. Love it. Uh, So go to that website. I've got some cartoons there. It's kind of a fun little website that sort of talks about the laws and gives you some ideas about how to apply them in your life. I think we could keep going on. Unfortunately, they limit us to time on these shows, but we'll have you back for sure. Studio is going to be completely finished this week. We'd love to have you back and continue the conversation. You're a great guest. Thank you Sounds so great. much. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Thanks for, Alex, for having it's me. It's Financial Detox. I'm Jason Labram. Get a hold of us at 877-707-8889 or check us out at financialdetox.com. Thank you for listening to the show. As always, we'll catch you next week. Have a great one. The content of this radio show is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any types of securities. Mr. Labrum and intelligence-driven advisors are not responsible for the consequences of any decisions or actions taken as a result of information provided in this radio show and do not warrant or guarantee the accuracy or completeness of the information provided. The information discussed today reflects the views of Mr. Labrum and his guests as of the date of the show and are subject to change without notice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Any forward-looking statements or forecasts are based on assumptions that actual results may vary from any such statements or forecasts. No reliance should be placed on any statements or forecasts when making any investment decision. Accordingly, listeners should not rely solely on the information provided today in making any investment decision. 
there is a risk of loss from investing in securities, including the risk of loss of principal. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will be profitable or suitable for a particular investor's financial situation or risk tolerance. Asset allocation and portfolio diversification cannot assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses.